Well, if you would turn now in your copies of God's Word to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And uh, I know the bulletin say, uh, says Psalm 22, Psalm 23, and Psalm 24, a Messiah's trilogy, and that sounds like a really interesting sermon, uh, but that will have to be for another time. <laughs> um, but we are going to be considering receiving the ministry of the Lord tonight. Uh, when I first chose Psalm 22, 23, and 24, I didn't realize I was preaching for the potential election of your next minister. And uh, when I realized that, um, I conferred with one of your elders about the possibility of pivoting uh, here last minute to, to preach an appropriate passage uh, on calling a minister. And uh, so we're considering 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and uh, we're going to be reading verses 5 through 18. And these are verses that you, know, you come to in your devotions or family worship, and you're like, I don't know, the comings and goings of different pastors and missionaries and so forth. What do we do with this, right? Uh, why, why preach on this passage? Well, it has much uh, for us as we consider how to receive a minister, how to receive the ministry of the word, but particularly if the Lord should grant you a new minister of the gospel here in this place, uh, our posture as, as we receive uh, such a minister. Now, as you've been vacant for as long as you've been vacant, uh, there's the thought of, oh Lord, please give us a man that he might serve us. And that's a wonderful thought, that's an appropriate thought, and I'm in no way rebuking or correcting that. But we're going to consider tonight the other side of things, of not, oh Lord, give us a man who will serve us, but Lord, how can we serve the man that you might give to us? Um, so let us give our attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, beginning in verse 5. I will visit you, this is Paul speaking, sorry. Uh, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia. And perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not, all, uh, not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, Act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. And this ends the reading of God's word. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on the preaching. Father, thank you that even the portions of your word that to us feel like the random comings and goings of people that we don't personally know, 
that this is inspired, inerrant, infallible, that it is useful for our edification, building us up, that we, the people of God, might be complete in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Father, would you please minister to us by your word in this place here this evening, even as we're mindful to that additional portion of our meeting where a minister of the gospel might be called to this place. Father, may our meditations this evening be pleasing in your sight. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, friends, how do you prepare for house guests? If you're having people come and stay in your home, as a number of you this week, as people are coming and going after the conference or staying in your home, how do you prepare? You take the bedding off of the beds that need to be made up. You wash them. You remake them, right? If you don't have a spare bedroom, you boot the kids out of their room and you you wash the sheets and you have the kids sleep on the couch. You clean the bathroom and if you don't have a separate guest bathroom you boot the kids out of their bathroom and <laughs> right and you you create a menu and you go out shopping and you ready yourself to be hospitable and, and why do we do this why do we trouble ourselves in these ways it's because we want to set people at ease we want them to feel at home we want them to not feel out of place but to have peace as they're away from their home and staying in your home Well, how is it that you prepare, not for house guests, but for a minister? You don't have to boot anybody out of bedrooms or bathrooms to prepare for a new pastor. You don't have to wash sheets, and you don't have to really clean bathrooms here at the school. Uh, But you do want to make him comfortable. You do want to set him at ease. You do want to make him feel welcomed. And friends, as we consider this portion of God's word this evening, really the simple point before us is receive your pastor as one who does the work of the Lord. And how would you receive one who does the work of the Lord? Wouldn't you be hospitable and setting him at ease and making sure that he is comfortable among you? So receive your new pastor as one who does the work of the Lord. Now, as I say that point, I'm not presuming anything about the meeting tonight, right? I'm not presuming the outcome. I'm simply saying, whomever the Lord provides for you to be your new pastor, whenever that may be, and in the Lord's timing, receive him as one who does the work of the Lord. Now notice the comings and goings here in our passage, right? Verses 5 and, and following here, we, we see various people moving about. We see Paul wanting to go here and having to remain here and wanting to be in this location uh, during this season. And we see Timothy being sent and Apollos, he desires that he be uh, moved here. And Paulo, Apollos doesn't really want to, to move there at that time. And we see the various comings and goings, right? We see personal interests at play. We see open doors and closed doors. We see various possibilities for ministry. We see hopes and and personal factors factoring in. We indeed do see weather and geography and various logistical considerations. And in all of this, the Lord is the one who is orchestrating behind it all, above it all, under it all, right? The Lord is the one who's moving these people where he sees fit for the sake of his kingdom work. And yet we see all of these personal factors and personal interests and personal reasons uh, woven in that as well. 
I think there's a really fascinating uh, concept in the midst of this as Paul desires that Apollos uh, go to a certain location and Apollos is resisting that. And we see that in verse 12, right? Uh, now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. I think this is so fascinating because Paul is an apostle. And at that time, he's like a one-man presbytery. Right? Uh, as the presbyteries were be orga- being organized, the sessions were being organized and so forth, uh, Paul really does have the authority as an apostle, as a one-man presbytery. It's as though the presbytery is calling Apollos, and Apollos is refusing the call. <laughs> we kind of scratch our heads at that. Is that okay? Is that allowed? Right? And, and we see in the, the comings and goings of men, and the movings of men, Again, these personal reasons and personal interests and personal timing, and the Lord is orchestrating it all, placing men where he sees fit, moving them to different churches and different roles for the sake of the advancement of his kingdom. And the Lord is overseeing even all of these personal interests. Friends, regardless of the call tonight, regardless of the response tonight, the Lord moves men where he sees fit. And he gives, gives gifts to churches and gifts particular men to particular churches as he would desire. And he oversees even personal interests, the interests of individual churches and the interests of individual men. And so we can rest in that, that the Lord is the one who moves ministers where he sees fit. Now secondly, ministers, uh, that, that was the first point. The Lord moves ministers where he sees fit. That's the shortest of our points. Uh, The second point, ministers are to be supported. Uh, Notice what Paul says in verse 6. Perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. So that you may help me on my journey. Paul is striking a note here that is woven throughout the New Testament, perhaps most clearly here, but we see this throughout the, the New Testament writings, that churches don't hire employees. They support a ministry. Right? Paul's saying you get to support the ministry. Right? Uh, a minister of the gospel is not an employee of the congregation. He's not even an employee of the session. Uh, he's on the session. He's, uh, of course, under the authority of the session, but so too all the members of session. And they serve as equals uh, together, shoulder to shoulder together. So whatever happens tonight... Uh, Be mindful, friends, that you are not hiring a pastor. You're not hiring an employee. If you call the particular man who's before you tonight, you are supporting his ministry in this particular place. Now, you might be thinking, well, Paul's kind of a missionary here. I don't know if it fits the pastoral ministry setting. It's more of a missionary setting and a temporary appointment, if you will. Well, if you want to run with the missionary concept, that all the more proves the point that I'm seeking to make. For how is it that we support missionary work? We don't tell them where to go and what to do and what to say and to whom to speak. We support them financially. We support them in prayer. We support them relationally. We support their ministry. And they engage with people overseas in a tongue that we don't speak. And they engage with people that we will never meet. And they engage with them face-to-face in locations that we might never visit. 
And we will get to glory, friends, and we will meet men and women, boys and girls, that we have never met before and don't even speak in their native tongue here on earth. And we will have been part of participating in that ministry that was useful in bringing them to glory. And what did we do? We we didn't tell them what to do and where to go, right? But we participated in that ministry. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying here about the ministry of the gospel. You get to minister with me in this way, O Corinthian church. It's it's not like the arrogant boyfriend, the obnoxious boyfriend. You get the great and awesome privilege to date yours truly. (laughs) Ladies, if you ever meet such a man, flee. He is not marryable material. Run from such a one. That's not what the Apostle Paul is doing here. He's not saying, oh, you get to support me. But far from it. He's saying, if you truly understand the blessing and privilege that it is to support gospel ministry, what it is that Christ grants heralds of His message and endows their message with power, and He's ordained them to that task, oh, the privilege that we have in partnering in that Together, that doesn't put the man on a pedestal in a lofty way. It's like we're all partnering together in this great and blessed privilege. And as he speaks into our lives in particular ways, we we ought to jump at the offer that Paul is giving here. If we truly understand the place and power of the ministry of the gospel in our week in and week out lives. So friends, again, regardless of the outcome tonight, remember you are not hiring an employee. You're not getting a spiritual assistant who gets to read the books that you don't get to read through the week. And he gets to do research and come and present his business report to his bosses uh, each week. You're supporting a ministry. And you have the privilege of partnering in ministry. When you tithe You're not paying his paycheck as though he owes you something. You're supporting, you're refreshing, you're blessing a man so that he can better serve and minister to you. You're further equipping and enabling a man so that he can further equip and enable you and faithfully shepherd you to Jesus. You get to support the ministry. Thirdly, Ministers are to be received. Notice what Paul says in verse 10. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord. What a pastoral commendation that is. Make sure you put him at ease among you. Can you imagine if I wrote that about graduating seminarians as they're sent out into congregations before they're called, they're young, they're fresh. Hey, if you call this guy, make sure you set him at ease, right? Like it's not the most glowing pastoral commendation uh, that you can receive, right? Or for those of you who have the opportunity to receive uh, applications and read recommendations in your job, can you imagine reading, if you hire this applicant, make sure you put him at ease. Or if you hire this young gal, go easy on her. Right. That's essentially what the Apostle Paul is doing here. But he's saying make sure he has nothing to fear in your midst. And, and notice verse 11. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me. Let no one 
despise him. Let no one look down upon him. Let no one treat him with contempt. But do you hear a a similar ringing uh, of another passage speaking of Timothy in that? Uh, Let no one despise him. Do you recognize that phrase of 1 Timothy 4.12 as Paul says of Timothy, let no one despise you for your youth. You see, people might have held Timothy in contempt because he's a young minister. And I think in the Reformed Church, that's like the one area where we still need to hear that admonition, let no one despise them for their youth. Because in our culture, our culture loves youth wants to look like youth, wants to chase after the youth, wants to listen to the youth, right? Uh, wants to listen to their political opinions. Like, why? I don't get it. But anyway, in the Reformed Church, it's the one place, the one bastion where we still need to hear this admonition, let no one despise people for their youth. But if we are not to look upon, look upon a young minister with contempt, how much more so? A seasoned man or any man, Right? Uh, That's the the argument from the lesser to the greater. Uh, We must never think of ourselves as smarter or wiser or better or more godly or are able to do a pastor's job better than him because he's young, because he's less experienced or because, well, for whatever the reason, right? And so we must respect the minister. But why else might Timothy have been despised? And so Paul has to give this commendation. Make sure you set him at ease and let no one despise him. You see, uh, Timothy was uh, probably a physically weak or ill young man because Paul has to say in 1 Timothy 5.23, make sure you take a little wine for your stomach. Timothy is probably not the most macho of men. Right? He's not like into sports and blowing stuff up with the guys. He's not like the most manly of men. That's, not, that's likely behind part of Paul's statement here. Make sure you put him at ease. Don't look down upon him. He's, he's likely of a weaker constitution. And again, that's no reason to not receive him or not respect him. You're to still submit to him in the Lord, even if he is not uh, the greatest physical specimen of manliness, if you will, right? He's still to be received with all respect and all honor in the Lord. Now, let me talk about the manliness of your next pastor. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Don't tell Ed I said No, you can tell Ed that I said that. <laughs> But you see, if you're looking for a certain stature of a man, I think you're reading a different scripture than the scriptures here that even the weak, uh, reserved pastor is still to be received and respected. But another reason that Timothy may have been looked down upon is he was of mixed ethnic background. His mother was a Jew and his father was a Greek which meant he probably wasn't received very well in either of those cultures, right? The Jews were were not the most favored group on the planet at that time. And uh, the Greeks, um, well, uh, the the Greeks probably struggled to accept him as as well. And and some Jews even struggled to accept Timothy, so much so that Paul had to circumcise him. Right? So can you imagine that? Well, this group is struggling to receive you, so let's circumcise you. Uh, No, thank you, Paul. No, thank you. But he's torn between two cultural worlds, challenged 
to, to minister in either, if you will. And so he's giving this commendation. Let no one despise him for, for really whatever reason. And so if you know a man were to be called who ministered in Australia for a time and never really ministered in the Midwest, and even if he is ministering between cultural worlds, in all seriousness, though, uh, even someone who finds great difficulty to minister in a given context, he is still to be received and honored and put at ease and not despised and respected. Again, argument from the lesser to the greater. How much more so your next pastor? But if we were to trace the reason why Paul is sending Timothy in the book of First Corinthians, back in chapter 4, we see his reason. Uh, we see that Paul wants Corinth to follow Paul's example in chapter 4. And he says, For this reason I send Timothy, but some in Corinth are prideful in thinking that I'm not coming and that I'm, I'm just sending Timothy, but if I come, I'll come with the rod. But he's hoping to come like Timothy and not bring the rod which means that Timothy is not Paul's heavy. He's not like laying down the law, right? He's, he's gentle. He's kind. And Paul has been you know, made fun of and mocked elsewhere for not being this big, powerful speaker. And yet Paul is saying he's the rod, not Timothy. And so you have to receive this gentle, shy, reserved one because he's not Paul's intimidator, to use an atrocious pun, that certainly Ed Blackwood would appreciate. But <laughs> Now, you see, Timothy has to be told in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, that he has to be strong and stand against opposition. He's likely a shy, reserved kind of guy who would naturally shrink back from confrontation so that he has to be admonished in this area and so Paul is saying, make sure you set him at ease. Let no one despise him. Ironically, church history tells us that Timothy was martyred for boldly preaching uh, in an idolatrous pagan festival and so is stoned to death. So we see that there's great growth and sanctification in this area. But here in this time, of course, Paul is saying, make sure you set him at ease. And the defining feature is verse 11. Uh, Let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace. <laughs> Pastoral ministry is not often marked by peace, friends. There's a reason why we are told, blessed are the peacemakers. We have to put forth effort to make peace because conflict comes naturally. And in pastoral ministry, uh, it, pastors are not without their difficulty of stones being thrown at them for every just different disagreeable reason. We have to be about peace making peace, putting forth every effort, that the defining feature of our love and interaction with the pastor should be marked by peace. Our fourth point is that you are to partner with the ministry. You are to partner in the ministry. Notice that this section of, of Scripture kind of ends with various injunctions in verses 13 and following. Notice what it says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, Act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now, this is a summary statement, right? That all of our interactions with 
pastors and pastoral ministry ought to be done in love. All that we do in the church ought to be done in love. Should the Lord call a particular man and the particular man that's before you, and should he relocate across a country and leave his friends and loved ones and come to a new city of strangers, to a new church with entirely new responsibilities, what would compel a family to do that? What would compel a man to do that? It certainly is not the paycheck. I have no idea how much you guys are paying, so I'm not, I'm not making a comment on the actual call. It's certainly not the paycheck, though, for pastoral ministry. It's love. It's love. He would be coming to minister Christ to you in love. And so whoever the Lord brings, will you care for him in love? That all that you do ought to be marked by love Every response and reception to the ministry must be done in love. So that when you disagree with anything preached or taught, and you go and you speak to the minister, are you asking yourself prayerfully, am I going in love? Or am I going to confront and correct? Right? Or if you're offended by something, Ask yourself, is it the loving thing to just hold this to myself and grumble and complain in my heart and to others in the church? Or should I gently speak in love? And then notice how it goes on in verses 17 and following. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have made up for your lack, some translations say, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours, give recognition to such people. These three men here are commended for refreshing the Apostle Paul and the Corinthian church. But the Corinthian church is enshrined in holy writ for all time as not refreshing the Apostle Paul. Wouldn't that be terrible? Like, I don't want to be known as the church that didn't refresh the Apostle Paul and that uh, Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus did. They made up for your lack or they made up for what you were not able to do as far as refreshing me in the particular uh, circumstances or situation. But these men are commended, Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus. They are enshrined in Scripture for all time as ones who refreshed the pastor, refreshed the minister of the gospel. And friends, I don't know if you know this, but ministers talk not in an, like an envious way or an inappropriate way about different churches in our denomination, about churches that are, are particularly given to receiving the word of God. And I don't know if you know this, but the Springs Reformed Church is one of those churches that in my time in the RPCNA, that has always been spoken of as a church that receives the Word of God and is very hungry for the Word of God. And again, not in an envious way, but you will hear ministers speak in the RPCNA, I'm happy in my calling, but if the Springs Reformed Church ever comes available, I might just consider, right? And again, that's not an envious, grass is greener kind of experience. It's because you have historically had a reputation for receiving the ministry of the gospel faithfully and well. Friends, may you folks be ones who are always spoken of and commended for as long as the Lord should tarry as ones who receive and also refresh the minister of the gospel, that you would support the ministry of the word. 
Oh, may you be revered and respected and honored as ones who care for the ministry. But finally, our final point. This is all because ministers do the work of the Lord. Also, passage, a, a, a verse that I passed over earlier, I just kind of skipped across it in verse 10. Uh, Paul says, When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease uh, among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. The apostle who has apostolic authority is saying, Timothy, this shy, reserved, young, wet-behind-the-ears ministry minister is doing the work of the Lord as I am. He is raising up Timothy, not in this authoritarian apostolic you know, level or something inappropriate that he has like command authority over the church. That's, that's not my point. But he is raising up the ministry of the word to the level of the Apostle Paul here. He is honoring Timothy in that way. He's saying Timothy is not to be received as a mere man. He's not to be received as a weak, reserved, shying away kind of guy. He's not to be received as a young whippersnapper who's to be questioned. He's to be received as a messenger of the Lord. And how is it that a new minister is to be received? As one who works for us? As one whom we pay his paycheck? As one who simply shares his personal opinions about the Bible each week? Or as one who does the work of the Lord? Friends, how does Romans chapter 10 speak of the ministry of the word? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear him without a preacher? We hear Christ. No, we don't just hear of Christ. We hear Christ in the preaching of the word. And Paul is saying you should receive the minister as one who does the very work of Christ. Now you might be thinking, well, that's kind of a a blasphemous level or something, isn't it? pastor, that it's elevating the minister to the level of Christ, by no means. Christ chooses to use fallible men, fallen, finite men, to minister Christ himself to his people. And we are to receive the ministry of Christ in that way. And friends, how would you receive Christ I'm not overstating the point that you will receive your next minister as though he's Christ. That's not my point. But how would you receive Christ? Well, you would receive him in all the ways that we have spoken about tonight. You might say, well, what if he was young and what if he was only 33 years of age? Oh, wait, Christ was only 33 years of age. You would receive him with all respect. Well, what if Christ had difficulty ministering between two groups of people, the Jews and the Greeks? Oh, wait, Christ did have difficulty as he was rejected by the Jews and he was not a Greek and not received by the Gentiles. And how is it that you are to receive a pastor who is called by Christ to minister in this place? how the faithful have responded to the ministry of the word throughout the ages. And how have the faithful responded throughout the ages? I I don't want to overstate my point here, so hear me carefully. But the faithful have always been tempted to over-revere them. We should not over-revere men. Friends, the RPCNA has seen the cult of personality where we have wrongfully revered men. I'm not saying that. But just think with me for a moment. How is the ministry received when angels, ministers, you know, minister to people? They, they, they fall down, they bow down and start to worship, and the angels are like, no, no, stop that. And when Paul and Barnabas take the, the gospel uh, to uh, the Gentiles, 
how are they received? They're bowed down to and worshipped, and they're like, stop, stop, that's wrong, that's wrong. Or how was Peter received by Cornelius? Cornelius falls down and starts to worship, and he's like, stop it, right? I'm not saying that we bow down and worship ministers. May it never be, may it never be. But the faithful are tempted in over-receiving, if you will. How do the unfaithful respond to the ministry of the word? Well, they revile and maim and kill and reject and disrespect and chafe at their teaching. They doubt and they deny and they despise. They hold them in contempt. They critique the message as soon as it's out of the minister's mouth. They grant them no peace. Friends, if we're going to receive the ministry of the word, may we not over-revere. May we not over-revere. Hear me carefully. But far be it that we be on that side of reception than the other side that we would grumble and complain and reject the ministry of the Word. Friends, I don't know who Christ is providing to you. Christ does. But when He comes, and when you receive His ministry, may you receive His ministry, like the ministry of Christ, in Luke chapter 24, when Jesus is on the road to Emmaus, the resurrected Christ, Before the disciples ever know that he is Jesus, he opens for them the scriptures and he shows Christ from the Old Testament. And what is the faithful's response to the ministry of Christ as he ministers Christ to them in the preaching of the word on the road to Emmaus? Did our hearts not burn within us as he opened the scriptures to us? Friends, that's how we should receive the ministry and the minister that Christ is providing to you. Oh, Christ. Please let my heart burn within me as he ministers Christ to us week in and week out that you would faithfully receive the ministry of Christ as one who does the work of the Lord. May it be so. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, how we thank you that you are pleased to minister to us through fallen, finite, fallible men. Lord, that we need to say increase our faith. Lord, we know the fallenness and the frailty of men. Oh, but we want to hear Christ. We want to hear him brought forth from your word week in and week out. We want our hearts to burn within us as we hear faithful ministers ministering Christ to us. So, Father, I don't know who you're providing to the Springs. You do. And we trust you. The Springs Church trusts you. Lord, would you be pleased to grant to them a minister of the gospel who would faithfully minister Christ to them. The Father, may this blessed congregation not think merely of, oh, how can he serve us? We so need a man to minister to us. But may they be eager to say, how can we set him at ease? How can we serve him? How can we receive and honor him? May it be so. In Christ we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.